0: The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. I'm gonna tell you things that most lawyers won't tell you. We expose the truth and bring you justice. I want you to go for the win in law and in life. It's 1995 and police in New Jersey are trying to solve a double homicide. They don't have much to go on, but an informant gives them a name of two people who may have been in the area and witnessed the crime. When police question them, one says they heard gunshots, but were too far to see anything. The other, a crack addict, an alcoholic who was actually smoking crack at the time of the murders, says not only were they there, they saw the whole thing and know the shooter's names. There is no physical evidence in the case, but prosecutors roll the dice and take two men, Kevin Baker and Sean Washington, to trial based only on the evidence of the addicted witness. Those two 23-year-old men would be convicted and spend more than two decades behind bars before being exonerated and released. Let's meet those two men who are finally free. Kevin Baker, Sean Washington, welcome to the Open Mic Show.
1: Good morning, Mike. How you doing?
0: I'm good. Thanks for being here. Hi, Sean. Thank you. Before we get into the details of your How case. Are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much. Tell me, um, let's start with uh, Kevin. How long were you in prison for a murder that you did not commit? For
1: 25 years, almost to the day, because it's crazy. I got arrested on February 14th and got <laughs> released on February 13th.
0: And tell me, I know this is a really, really hard question, but tell me how this affected your life up until now and, and the types of things that you missed while you were in prison.
1: Uh, like I said, it's, it's hard to put it in words like how it affected you because I, it's just the trickle-down effect of you know, not being able to have a family or you know, family members that you lost, you know, what you could have established or what you could have um, contributed. It's, 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 man, if you go into that, though, I think you'll, you'll, like, you'll go crazy. So you try to just, you try to just not, not go too f- deep into that.
0: No, I, I get it. Sean, uh, do you want to answer that question? Uh, yes, sir. Um,
2: well, I mean, being away for 25 years and something you didn't do, like, it takes a toll on you. Like, we both lost multiple family members and people we cared about. You know, neither one of us had a chance to, you know, be father, fathers to, to our children or anything. You know, we missed out on a lot. And it, 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 prison kind of does something psychological to you, too. And just like uh, I read about PTSD, people going away and we're going away to war, fight wars. Mm-hmm. And they come back, suffer PTSD. Men who do time in prison, you, we suffer some type of PTSD.
0: I I I don't doubt that, and I've read about that that as well. Um, Sean, you know, you you were grew up in Camden, New Jersey. You had your whole life ahead of you. Uh, what were you? What do you think you were going to become at twenty three years old? What was going through your head at that time?
2: That again? That again? At
0: twenty at, at twenty three year old twenty three years old before getting arrested. What were your plans for the future?
2: marriage and children. I, I always, when I see my mother and my sister get married when I was a child, I always wanted to get married. I kind of have a, a big extended family and like a, 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 as a child, you know, we wanted for nothing. I was kind of spoiled rotten. I always wanted to be a father and, and raise some children and, and you know, get married, you know, and I, you know, I, I kind of missed out on that in 25 years, but still not too late. I'm hoping to make up for
0: it the next 25. Good for you. I wish you the best of luck in that. So tell our viewers, you know, you got arrested and convicted around the age of 23. I mean, what were your plans for life before this all went down, before you were wrongly accused, wrongly convicted, wrongfully imprisoned? What, what were your plans for life?
1: Well, at, at 23, I was still figuring it out myself. So, you know, I was doing little jobs, little, you know, working here, working there, but I was pretty much you know figuring out what's going to be my course cuz you know I come from this environment I lived in this environment so I wasn't like I wasn't like out of college or anything like that but my goals wasn't to come to prison for 25 years so no you know I was just really beginning to you know come into that stage I was still a kid though mentally I was still a kid
0: what was it like growing up in Camden New Jersey
1: Oh man it was rough it's rough it's 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 an environment that, you know, it breeds a certain type it breeds certain type of behavior. So if you're not careful, you can develop, you know, you develop wrong ways of thinking and you know, you get yourself in situations. So it, it breeds that it's a bad environment mentally. It's good people here. I'm not gonna just say just wash everybody and Camin out, but it's that type of environment where it develops those that, and that's another thing, like when I came home, it's like, like far as like adjusting mentally, like I said, this environment and prison environment, you know, the negatives, you know, I'm going from the negative situations because, you know, it's I, I I keep myself in positive out here, but that negative element is out here just like it was in prison, you know, that depression and that deepness, like hopelessness and stuff. So it's the parallels It's like I'm. I'm getting out. I'm like, damn, you you got the same behaviors as the guy just left in prison. So you know, like, it's it's I, I don't I don't I, I try to stay away from that, but I pick it up. Like that's what I learned in prison, I guess.
0: You like, learned how to adapt.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely learned how to
0: adapt. You grew up in Camden, New Jersey as well, correct? Yes, sir. And uh Kevin just told us what it was like growing up there but tell us for you what was it like growing up in Camden New Jersey
2: it, it it was um kind of a mixed bag in the beginning it was lovely in the 70s i mean all the neighbors you know it was it was a neighborhood like a village everybody looked out for each other watched out for each other's kids you know sometimes a family below with with rent money they may have a rent party or sell some dinners and people would support them it was it was a lot of unity when I was growing up in the seventies and then sometime in the eighties, when the, when that, when the drugs hit heavily, especially that crack era, it kind of changed for the worse. It became real violent. You know, people were, you know, so became self-centered, you know, it was all about their cells and what they want.
0: You know, that, that, that crack era just really changed it. Got it. So just a bring you back unfortunately i have to bring you back to january 28th 1995 there's a double murder that ultimately changed both of your lives forever kevin i'm going to start with you to tell us what happened and where were you on that day
1: well on that day i was actually home so i i wasn't nowhere in the area nowhere near the area so i i was i was home and i wasn't like I said, man, Sean, we we knew each other because from the area, but we didn't hang together. So the you whole... and Sean,
0: you and Sean, you're talking about. Yeah,
1: man, Sean, man, Sean. So you're at you
0: home at six a.m. Who who were you home with?
1: I was home with Michelle and a girlfriend of mine.
0: Okay, and Sean, where were you at that time, six a.m. on uh, January twenty eighth, nineteen ninety five? I, I was
2: at my sister's house where I stayed occasionally. It was about a block away from the, the murder. It was it was in Roosevelt Manor a housing project where the double homicide happened, I was there with my nephew. But prior to that, I was um I was out in the streets, you know, we were involved in, you know, the drug trade. So I was out prior to that. And then when I went, I went back to my sister's house to cook something to eat about four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And me and my nephew were talking. And then my pager went off about five thirty. So after I finished was finished eating I went down to the payphone about a half a block away to use the uh, pay phone to return the call. And that's, uh, I put the change in to make the call, the change didn't go through. I went to go around the corner to see if I could bump some change from somebody that might have been hanging out, and that's when I discovered the two people laying there dead. And I went and that- hysterical. I started crying. I thought it was my nephew at first, because the, the gentleman had on a green army fatigue jacket, and my nephew had on a green jacket that was similar to that. So at first, I thought it was him. And I went to the pay phone was upset. Uh, Then I went to the pay phone and and made the 911 call. I called the police.
0: So this is one of these ironic, um, twists in in your case. And there's several of them, but, uh, you made a 911 call reporting the two dead bodies of 35 year old Rodney Turner and 40 year old Margaret Wilson. Um, And you didn't leave your name on the 911 call. Is that correct? No, sir, I didn't. Okay, so we're going to get back uh, to that in a little bit. It's a crucial part of the story. Five days later, an informant said her cousins were in the area. Do either of you know the cousins, Denise Rand and Tyler Moore? Tyler, yes, sir.
1: They're people from the area, yeah. so. Everybody's familiar with it. That area, everybody's familiar with everybody, really. So,
0: Well, I guess this Denise Rand said she saw you two run up and shoot the victims. Why do you think she said that?
1: Well, from, from my, I don't know why she, why she said it, but from my understanding, somebody said that she was out there. Somebody implicated her and said that she was out there. So when they went and got her, that's where this story come from. Now, why she said it or how they made her say it, it's you know, we can't really say, like, but but from my understanding, it was what Ty Moore said is that she wasn't even there. And my understanding, if the evidence said that she wasn't yeah, there, because there. there's nothing, there's nothing that proved that her story, that's the thing with this. Case that everything she said is not corroborated by anything. In fact, the evidence shows that that what she said is a lie. It couldn't. It, could, it was physically impossible for the crime to happen the way she described it. Physically impossible.
0: Right. And and uh, the other person, Tyler or Tyrone Moore, said a totally different story. What was his story? Yeah.
1: He said that they were two blocks away when it happened, and what they did with him. See. It's a lot of things they did with him that were shady, too, far as this, this lie detector test. Then we come to find out, as we investigate, the guy that's supposed to administer the lie detector test, he's not a qualified polygraphist enough, and he had no notes, like, because we, we went and got an expert with the polygraph, and they said, with that, you have to have all these <coughs> notes and findings, and we couldn't, they couldn't find nothing on this guy. And so... It was something with that, too, but that's what they said with Ty. They said they took a polygraph test, and he was not telling the truth.
0: I have a question about these witnesses. Um, were either one of you friends with either one of these witnesses used to hang out with either one of them?
1: Nah, nah, they were
0: old, no. They were, Go ahead.
2: They were older than us, so we, we didn't really hang with them. They used to hang with my older siblings. My older
0: siblings knew them, but we never hung together nothing. Right. So Rand's took a, a polygraph. And what were you trying to say about the polygraph that that didn't, that wasn't right?
1: No, Rand or- Ran, Ran never took a polygraph. Only Moore took the polygraph. Okay. See, they, they never took the polygraph to see what she lying. They took one of him because his story didn't match hers. So they said, I guess they said, how could they, you know, make him, you know, not believable. So they took this uh, Fugazi, lie detector test, which has no notes, which we don't know if this guy was an actual polygraph, um, allowed to take polygraphs, you know what I'm saying? So, so that's, that's what was up with the polygraph test. It was like one piece of paper with a, with, a couple, with a couple questions on it, which, like I said, we had an expert there. He explained how that proceed. he went in detail of how that procedure go far as taking polygraph tests. He said the science, that's what they do. They collect they have to collect that data and those 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 that paperwork. He said it was nothing there and they couldn't find who this dude was.
0: He so said it's only a, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, he said it's only a few polygraph people that were in New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? That's qualified. He said that community knows everybody. So it was just something with the polygraph.
0: So police decided to make arrests on Feb- February 15th, 1995. Kevin, you were taken into uh, into custody, and Sean, you ran away from the police. Tell me what happened there.
2: Uh, well, they, they 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 um they executed I think about eight arrest warrants for seven homicides on February the fourteenth, and uh, I was pulling up to my sister's uh apartment in Roosevelt Manor, and I seen cop cars on the um on the lawn and running up and people going in the house. So I was in the car with someone. So I told him to take off driving. And then my pages started going off and people were uh, telling me they they was bringing my nephew out the house and that they was bringing a safe out, a safe out the house. So, you know, I figured it must have been something dealing with drugs. And then I, we, we we called, the we tried to find out about a bail for my nephew. They say he had a detainer. And then the next day, the 15th, that's when they put it in the newspaper that we were wanted for murders. And I, I contacted a lawyer and he told me to, um, he said he'd get back with, and I, had my, I called my father trying to contact my, my one my old lawyer. And uh, he called him. And then my lawyer told my father that he said he don't know what's going on, because he used to be an ex-prosecutor. He said he don't know what's going on. said if it was me, I wouldn't stick around. So that he gave my father that message, so I kind of took that as get the hell out of there. So I left Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: well, okay. Hopefully, the lawyer didn't say that, but you know, you guys had yeah. you guys had well, allegedly, some allegedly. Leslie said, "Well, he, yeah, uh, yeah,
2: I got it from my father. My father said he talked to him.
0: He said he don't know what's going on. Allegedly, he said he wouldn't stick around." Yeah, so, you, you had some bad lawyers throughout this case. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not going to put anything past uh, to p- past what they said, but they caught um, you a month later, Sean. Um, yes. And yep. you know, tell tell us what happened next.
2: I came back to Camden. I left Camden went up to um, visit someone in Newark. And I visited someone in Trenton. I went to Atlantic City to visit someone. Then I came back to Camden with the intention to turn myself in. I was trying to contact my former attorney who represented me on other cases, but I couldn't catch him. And then someone happened to see me at an, an associate's house, and they called the police and sent the police there. So they came and locked me up. I think it was March the 22nd or 23rd, and they took me to the police station. And uh, they informed me that I was being charged with a, with, with a homicide, three homicides. And um, they were trying to question me, but I just kept telling them, I said, I want a lawyer. I said, I have nothing to say without a lawyer. And they, there was two different sets of detectives about the double homicide and about a single homicide. And uh, they just kept asking me questions. I kept saying, I don't have nothing to say without a lawyer. I don't have nothing to say without a lawyer. And they asked me if I take a polygraph. I said, yeah, you call my lawyer and let my lawyer say if I can take a polygraph, I'll take one. So I, from the beginning, I just lawyered up because I really didn't know what was going on.
0: So I, I just... and, and, and did you know what the did either one of you know I mean all of this was based upon a wrong ID or a crooked ID I mean, did either one of you have that understanding
1: i I knew, I knew it was a bad identification, and after a while because I wasn't there, so it had to be after a while, I'm saying the story can't be believable because if I wasn't there, and she's saying that I was there and I did this so i'm now I'm starting to question question was she really there? So so mm-hmm. as, as I start doing investigating, trying to get myself out, you know, writing, you know, I had to start figuring out like that, like her story really don't make sense. Her story can't make sense if I wasn't there. It can't make sense. So that's when I start really looking and saying like about the guns, how they, you know, the shell casings and all this stuff, do they all the shell casings come from one gun? And it was three, it was three shell cases, it was three wounds. And all the shell cases come from one gun. So it's like, you know, like that's that to me, that's saying it was actually one person. So as I start going on into that, I start seeing things. Then the, the guy saying that she wasn't there, like it's nothing that corroborated her story. That's why I can't say it was a mistaken identity case. It wasn't. It, 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 it was. It impossible for them to just look at it and say, "Oh, she." It was mistaken identity. I couldn't go
2: with that. Hey, Mister Dietz, it wasn't a mistaken identity. The witnesses who the uh, state used against us, the so-called witnesses, they didn't even witness the crime. They wasn't there. They just made. They were either they either made up a story or were fed a story and they just regurgitated. But the, I come to learn that the, the witnesses that. Gave a statement against myself and and uh, against Mister Baker in the homicides. They didn't even see the crime.
0: Do we? And did we? I, do either one of you have a sense as to why uh, were they paid off? Were they what? Uh, angry at you for something else? Uh, nah,
1: see, nah, it couldn't have been that they was angry at us for nothing else. That's what I say. Like you can't, you can say that it was some corrupt, corrupt. But you, that's the thing that you have to approve. I mean, like prove everybody going to say, well, you, uh, the cops didn't really, why would the cops just do that? Why would they do that? But if you look at the, there's it's no other way. Like, why would she, like you say, why would she do that? Like, she didn't have any problem with me. She didn't have any problem with him. Like, why would she do that? Did they give her money? She was a crack addict. She was a crack addict, alcoholic. She was all the above, you know? So, but if you could blame it on her and say, oh, she did it for money. But did they, they made her, they gave her the money and they gave her the story because she was not there. So it ain't like they paid her to tell the truth. Here we're going to give you some money to tell her what you say, you know. So, yeah, it so, so always.
0: That's the first bad thing. I mean, there's a lot uh, in a combination of lots of bad things. But let's talk about the second bad thing, which were your attorneys. Uh, oh. You both you both <laughs> were you both were appointed attorneys. Is that true?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had a point to tell me.
0: Tell me, uh, tell me what kind of guys or gals these were.
1: Well, my attorney, I had a PD. He was he actually told me, um, listen, man, I, I can't come over there and babysit you. All we can do is wait till she get on stand. And I actually seen him maybe, you know, two or three times, maybe. Before my trial, he did absolutely no investigation. He did no investigation about the physical evidence. He went and seen nobody. He developed no character witnesses. His defense was they're not going to believe her. You know, it's one witness. The state has the burden to prove. His defense wasn't, you know, um, how he's going to put up a defense to help me. His defense was that, well, the state has to prove it, and we don't really have to do nothing. You know, so...
0: So he wasn't yeah. proactive in the least bit. And he no, didn't. At, he, and Did all. he ever interview your alibi witness?
1: He, well, see, see, what he did with my alibi was something that was strange, too, because my alibi informed him that, see, as soon as I got him, yo, no, this was ha-. What he did was actually send my alibi to the prosecutor's office. He said, well, if he's, go tell them that. He didn't take no statement from her before to protect her. He sent her to them. And what they do, what the prosecutors do, they flim-flammed her story all and made it into something that it actually wasn't. So they dirtied my alibi. He, he dirtied my alibi from the beginning. You know, my alibi, oh, that she said this, this wasn't on. She actually told him what show she was watching, how she remembered the day and everything. But they put a 360, mixed the story all up and say she said this. So now he tell me. I say, yo, why you ain't not using my alibi? Oh, they said she lied. I can't bring her. I, they said she lied, so we can't bring. Her. But she never was gonna say what, what, what he he said. The prosecutors told him she wasn't gonna get on the stand and say that. But just because they, you know, they had a report. They never even had a statement from her or Disaster. a recording. They had, they had a report from her.
0: Disaster. So you know, yeah. Sean, so, tell me about your lawyer.
2: Well, I had uh, got a, um, a pool attorney. Um, by I was appointed an attorney named Michael Kahn. And Michael Kahn honestly had a good reputation in Camden County for being a good lawyer. S- you know, So someone told me to sign up for a PD and they'd see if they can get me a good lawyer. So that's what I did. Signed up and ended up getting Michael Kahn. Like I said, he had a good reputation for being a good lawyer because he represented some guys throughout the city. And he ended up getting them good deals. But all he was was a good deal attorney. I don't know if he was a good trial attorney. So. He, you know, he had like I said, he had a reputation, so I thought I had a good attorney. But he did absolutely nothing either. I told him about the 911 call before we even got the transcripts and everything. I told him it was in the transcripts of the 911 call. He told me that he used to work, he used to represent the spouse of the 911 system. He was going to um have him come in. He told me he was going to bring the girl's cousin in, Ty Moore. I told him about my alibi witness. Three days before my trial, the investigator got a statement from an alibi witness. Which I didn't see until after we got convicted. So, I mean, they basically did nothing. It was a two-day double murder trial. The third day they did it felt us guilty. We had alibi witnesses, rebuttal witnesses. They called nobody. Uh, one one gentleman I met down in prison said that they did a drive-by on me. Cause it, it was just like a get them in and get them out, get them convicted. It was surreal.
0: It's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. Did anything ever happen to these lawyers? Did they get disbarred? Did they get grieved? Did they nah, get
2: they, nah, they still they still working?
1: And, the thing, and, a, and another thing about that time was if you look back at the um like the prosecutor's office, like I said, was, you know, um they actually like when they arrested us, they actually did a murder sweep. They actually solved, supposedly solved 13 murders that week. Now, as an attorney, like like you know the system. You know how hard it like it it just seems strange that you could solve 13 murders at one time. And you sure know what The whole strategy was what they was using with those to solve those murders was a crackhead saying somebody did it. So it was the same technique that was being used. So the story is actually in what they were doing at that time to to get those murders, to get people, you know, to lock people up for murders because they was using that because a lot of people were taking deals. They were dealing out. But that was the strategy they was using. So once they get you in there, either you could take a risk with your life or, you know, take this deal.
0: I I assume you both were offered plea deals.
1: Well, I was. But my plea deal was to tell on him, though, to say he did it.
0: And then what would happen to you?
1: I would get seven years.
0: And you served 25. And you wouldn't take that deal because it was a lie.
1: Because I wasn't there. I couldn't tell no. Yeah, I'm telling him the whole time that I wasn't there. And then you come to me and say they willing to give
0: you a deal for seven years. Like, Sean, were you offered a deal? Yes.
2: Um, The first deal that they came at me with, uh, the, Mr. Khan said it was a, a, a 50 with a 25 year stick. And I said, I'm not taking no 25 years. I didn't do anything. And they came at me a few more times with deals. He said, the prosecutor has another deal for you. I, always, I, I, I never heard him. I told him I do not want to hear no deal. I said, I'm not taking a deal. Don't tell me about any deals. He said, Well, by law, I have to do it. I said, I don't care. I'm not taking no deal. So I don't want to hear nothing they say. But he came at me a few more times with a, with a deal that they were offering. But each time I was shutting down, told him I don't want to hear because I'm not taking no deal.
0: It's absolutely crazy. So I, I remember reading in, in your bios uh, about uh, more about this Denise Rand. Uh but but before we get there, they never recovered murder weapon uh or weapons, correct? That was never presented no. at trial. There was Nobody. no DNA evidence at trial connecting mm-hmm. you guys or anybody. Is that true? No. Yes. No. Um and, and there was one witness who said she saw you, this Denise Rand. How did how would you guys say she did uh on the stand?
1: Oh, she was terrible. She the the first thing she said on the stand was. Keep in mind that they held her in a hotel for two days before she took the stand, you know, and they paid her under a material witness statute. So they wasn't actually paying her. She was a material witness, so they allowed to give her money. So it, it was legalized to pay her. Well, they they had her on it. The first thing she said was, listen, I don't remember. It's a long time ago. Um. So but you said, I don't know. I could have said it. I could have said this. She was real belligerent. So what they had to do was they had to give her her statement. So she actually sat up there and read from her statement. Oh, you remember you said that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just like she was just going by what she thought she had to complete, whatever deal they made with her, whatever. And she just said, oh, they said, all right, come on, let's, let's, think we, let's refresh your memory. They start reading the statement, and they allowed it, and that was it.
0: She admitted to smoking crack within hours she admitted before to smoke she crack. was drunk. She and doesn't she... know if she was paying attention or not paying attention. Yeah, and the jury believed. Now, did either one of you guys get on the stand to testify?
1: See, that's another. That's the, that's another part of the defense was that you don't have to say anything. They have to prove that. So that and that's and and that be a, the ignorance of a lot of us. Like when we go into these trials and stuff, we come with the concept of they have to prove that we're guilty instead of us trying to prove that we're innocent. So we, we listened to that too. Oh, they, they don't have anything. They got to prove we did it. So, so,
0: so how did, did either one of your lawyers do a decent job of, of, uh, showing, uh, how bad of a witness she was on cross examination. They,
1: they really destroyed her though. She wasn't like, it wasn't like she was really no good witness. She wasn't really no good witness.
2: Mr. Deets, I, I, like, I wanted to testify. I wanted to testify. I'm sorry. does my, my name is Michael Morse. I'm, I'm sorry, like, Mr. Moore. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I, I wanted to testify on my own behalf, but my attorney he was adamant that he said I could. He wasn't letting me testify. I did not know that I had the right to testify until after my trial. But even at one of our hearings, before we our last hearing before we were um before we got out, he admitted understand that i wanted to testify he wouldn't let me so i was i was more than willing and happy to testify because my testimony would have been the truth of what happened that night as far as concerning me but like i said the attorney was adamant that i couldn't testify and i didn't know i had the right to testify
0: and then it sounds like there was uh uh some difference of opinion uh this there was a firearms expert who couldn't tell certain things didn't sound like he made a great witness what is your take on on that uh expert
1: the the firearm expert from from the state well yep. they see they th- their thing was they they had to make it two shooters when the physical evidence showed that it was really one shooter so their theory was that oh uh, maybe it was a 9 millimeter revolver that was used you know they start bringing up these guns like these rare antiques of it was maybe it was a um one of them even said that maybe he um and what they said took the shells out and um took the shells out of the 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 9 millimeter revolver and left them at this it was all types of theories to just to say that oh it could have been two guns but like i said three shots three wounds three shells all come from one gun even if you look at they went into the positions of the bodies. They had, man, on our appeal, they had um, Michael Bodden. They had all those guys, uh, um, Lucian Haig up there. I mean, like, top guys that just destroyed their, um, destroyed them. And we had this judge. He just wouldn't let us for some reason. He just wouldn't let us. He was, uh, he didn't believe it. He said, oh, it's still, it could have been two. You know, when all the evidence proves that it was actually one gun, all the physical evidence.
0: Yeah, it, it's kind of confusing how they convict two people for one gun. It doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. It, uh, I, I haven't read your transcripts, but it doesn't. Uh, I mean, your attorneys must have not poked many holes and not <clears throat> must not have um, shown a jury of twelve. Actually, is it twenty-four? You both, you both had your own jurors, juries. No, we had a joint no, trial. We, we,
1: we had a joint trial. So, so
0: usually they have two different juries in joint trials, but you guys shared a jury, which I've actually, is pretty rare. I've never yeah. heard of that. Um, oh, no. Interesting. No, I, but it's interesting. But so the defense attorneys showed nothing that you guys were innocent. Uh, the uh, alibi witnesses weren't called. Um, no. uh, Tyrone Moore, who said that uh, they were too far away to see anything, was he called?
1: No, he wasn't called either. He was not called.
0: That doesn't make sense. Did you ever talk they, they strategy with absolutely. your lawyers?
1: Yeah, but like I said, when I was writing them, that's what he told me. He said, listen, I'm not coming over there to babysit you. He was like, we only could do is wait for the trial to start. And I'll write. Listen, I, I, I've got a record. I've got a record established that I wrote judges. I wrote everybody complaining from the beginning. So, and they would tell me, listen, stop writing me, write to your attorney. If you write me again, you're going to be sanctioned. Um, we can send a letter to your attorney. So I I, so I, I tried to like talk strategy.
0: No, it's interesting that you are saying that, Kevin, because it's a lot of these um, interviews that we've done, the the clients, the accused, you know, don't make enough noise. And it sounds like you were trying to make the noise. You were trying to notify the judge and anybody who'd listen that this isn't right. Your counsel's bad. Um yeah. we're, we're, we're about to get railroaded here and nobody would listen to your pleas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I it's, bet, it's, man, it's, I have tons. I have stacks, man, like actually letters, like begging, like, listen, man, like, look at this case. Like, what did, like, just pay attention to it. Like, all, the, all anybody had to do was just pay attention to it. It wasn't like, it was nothing like, this was really something like, they really gonna get this off. Like, they really snuck and got this off. A two-day double murder trial with, with one witness, with one lady that just come in there high and everything. Like, she didn't even have no regard for the courtroom when she came in there. You know, they had her in the hotel for two days. Like probably because probably
0: probably so she wouldn't drink and use crack.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then they asked her like, yeah, yeah. They went over the story with her, you know, they went over the maps and all this and she still got in there and didn't remember anything. So it wasn't even like she was a good witness when she got up. But the thing is, like, like you said, how can the jury convict, still convict you? So that's the, that's the, that's the part that puzzles me. Like, like how that's how how could they take you and put you in front of those people? You know, and how could those people convict you like that?
0: Yeah, it, it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. August first, nah. nineteen ninety-six, you're both convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to sixty years. Did either of you at that point ever think the truth was gonna come out?
1: I yes. did. I, I always did. Yes. Because it was yes. I always did.
0: All right, I didn't good know if you would think that long <laughs> enough. <laughs> Mr. Moore. Yes. It's
2: so it's so deeper than just the surface of, of what we're speaking about. I came to learn through, you know, investigation and talking to people that the, um the FBI had evidence that somebody else committed the crimes that we were convicted of. The FBI was watching Camden since 1991. They brought indictments in 1997 and a couple of the uh, defendants in the federal cases to take, you know, they, they took plea bargains. They had to tell everything they knew. So I learned that two federal informants in two different cases told the FBI that we didn't do the case, and we didn't commit the crimes, but that, that that was like swept under the rug. And then when the college came on and took our case in 2012, they, we informed them of one of the witnesses in the federal case, and they interviewed him, audio and video interview. And he said he told them back in the early 2000s that me and Kevin didn't do it. And you know they never did nothing. Then when he came home, and uh, around uh, 2011, he said he tried to go to the prosecutor's office to explain to them that we didn't do it, but they they just kept ignoring him, shushing him away. So, so it, it, I mean, it's, it's, we haven't been able to find all the evidence from the federal cases of, of, of who said what, but from what I've learned that the FBI, the federal government that was watching Camden knew f- that me and Kevin didn't do it, and we they, they just let us rot in prison.
0: It's beyond frustrating. Um, yeah. After losing multiple uh, appeals, uh, 2011, the last resort exoneration project at Seton Hall University took on your cases. Uh, tell me how that came about.
1: Well, um, I was I was writing, like I said, I was writing so many colleges, and and I was actually writing a, a place in Princeton at the time, and you know back and forth. And the guy next door to me, he said, oh, man, right these people, they just opened from Seton Hall, the last resort exoneration project. I filled out the information. I told my story. I explained it. And from there, she automatically, she said, listen, she said, I, I, I'm like, I, I like what I hear with this case. So she, um, she took the case. It took a while, you know, a little, she gathered information. They start investigating, man. Once they start investigating, it was over. That's all. It, like I said, that's all it took was for somebody to just pay attention and investigate. Once they see, see, like, come on. Like it was over.
0: Sean, tell me about where they found your 911 call and uh, um, and what what you learned happened to that in all those years.
2: Uh, they found it hidden somewhere in, in the prosecutor's office and in, in, in files and in some record room. So, but um, then they said they when they found it, they took it to the college, and them and the students listened to it. As soon as they they said they heard it, you know, they said one of the students said, "I think that's Sean Washington," and they never even heard my voice. So the um the nine one one confirmed what 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 we was telling from the beginning, and like the attorney from the uh, Seton Hall, she said like everything that we told her told them about the case and about our alibi, everything. So they were able to confirm it through investigations. So uh that 911 was somewhat of, somewhat of a game changer because I, even when they went to the public defender's office and searched through my records i had multiple letters where i was writing the public defender's office telling the attorneys to get the 911 tape you know and no one never got it no one never one attorney on my appeal pcr she called the public she called the prosecutor's office and asked them if they had the uh the uh the the, 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 the if they still had the 911 and they told him the one dispatch and they told him no you know so they never followed up after that, but the way the way I was introduced to the uh, last resort exoneration project, it was an attorney who I used to associate with, named Jean Ross, and she was at a, a convention with a bunch of lawyers, and she she knew the uh, the Risingers uh, Leslie and Michael, and was telling they said they was going to start a, a new uh, exoneration project, and she said she told them about me, said I think Sean Washington case might be right for y'all, so that's how I felt that about the um, the case through another attorney.
1: No, no, what what happened was they wasn't gonna take his case at first
2: until oh, yeah, they found the
1: 911 yeah. call. Oh yeah, once they yeah, once yeah. they found the 911 call, see they just had my case at first.
0: Yeah. And
1: once they found the 911 call, then that just solidified all right him too. Cause we was Shit. both we were both like going separate ways. Like he was with with him, he was far as like legally trying to, you know, out <laughs> out legal to say. Out legal me, I actually knew that yo, we gonna need some help. Like we gonna have to gather evidence. You gonna need help from people outside to actually show evidence. Like trying to, you know, ineffective assistance. Like, like just you know, word playing with it. Like we had it. We actually had ineffective, but we didn't have the uh, actual, you know, statements or we was using like little reports and this and that. Until the people actually did the footwork and start bringing about the evidence, then okay, now you got something.
0: Hey, Sean, yes, have you sir. Th- have you thanked Kevin yet? <laughs> For, yeah, no, I'm he many like, times. <laughs> <had No>. <laughs> I mean, the way the way it's coming down here, it sounds like uh, he had the right tactic, and uh, thank God he did because yeah. that nine one one tape sh- turned up. If it didn't, if his efforts didn't turn it up, you might yeah. still be not here on this podcast with me today. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, in, the in,
2: in the beginning in the we, beginning, we didn't work together because we didn't get along. <laughs> we didn't really know each other. But towards the end, when the college came along, that's when we started working yeah. together and sharing information. Because I mean, even after I was convicted after I was convicted, like like Kevin said, I was trying to do stuff legally. I was reading and studying the law. And I did a supplemental brief for every appeal that I had and they would ignore the issues when it was valid issues. So um and then I even, I was hiring the private. My family was helping me get private investigators. They were going out there talking to people, getting new statements, which was newly discovered evidence. And the judge just kept ignoring everything we put up. He would just deny, deny, deny. Yeah, we, and,
1: we had a pretty, pretty, the judge was pretty, like, he was bent on, like, I don't know what his he, problem was with us, but he was like, he wasn't he like He fought harder dope, than man. the prosecutor. like because. I think the appeal we had before we was exonerated that um newly that new trial the new trial um we, it was like a trial man we was up there for two weeks witnesses man it was like we put on a display of everything that that just shut them down and he still was like he was like man nah no no
0: you're That's saying the judge, the, really, the judge or the prosecutor the judge or the prosecutor
1: judge the judge the prosecutor really didn't he couldn't really put up a fight because we actually had the evidence, the show. So he couldn't really, you know, but the judge was on this. It's like the judge really wasn't backing of Like, so he really had to, like, it was, it was, it was strange, man. Terrible. It was str-
0: Absolutely terrible. I have a note here that uh, the witness who said you guys uh, saw you, the witness who said she saw you guys commit the murders died from breast cancer, but her friends came forward saying that she admitted to lying to the police. Is that a true statement? No.
1: Who died from breast cancer was my alibi. My alibi died.
0: Okay. So my note note here is wrong. I'm sorry about that. And she died. So tell me what happened. She died and what happened?
1: She died from breast cancer. But like I said, my alibi was always, her story was always there. But what happened, like I said, what happened with her story is what he let them do from the beginning. So it dirtied my story, it dirtied her alibi from the beginning, but the thing with with it being dirty, it never was any statements or anything that she actually said that. The prosecutor wrote a report that, oh, she said this, oh, she said that. And so this was being used through all my appeals, this report, when she actually had statements and it it was notes, they went and got notes from from the um, public defender that he had written down, they writ- they had they confronted him with his own notes and that, he, he, he had to change his whole story because he came to one of my appeals and he was adamant that, oh, I did this. I did that. They gathered evidence and had to confront him and he had to fold his hand and he had to come back on stand and say, well, I only said that because I didn't look at none of my stuff when I when I made this statement. I didn't go through all my notes. So that's why I said it at that hearing. You know, like it was, it was like, how could you sit up there and like, like I said, Damn, like you're helping me now, but it's like, oh, man. 20,
0: 25 years too late.
1: Yeah. Like, so
0: all the new evidence that you guys presented, the trial judge denied yeah. your, your new trial or reversal, correct? Yeah. But the Court of Appeals, thank God, reversed the trial judge who was not being helpful throughout this whole thing. Were you guys surprised that the court of appeals did the right thing?
1: Well, at, I wasn't because they had, they had started hiring big guns now. So it was big names on those appeals. Now, like they had Larry Lawrence Lusberg, like these was guys that were, they knew once they, their names start. And that's why they jumped on because they, they like, they knew like, man, come on, y'all got to let them go. So everybody started joining forces. And jumping in on the case and signing their name, even at the end, the um the new conviction review unit, you know, they finally stepped in and said something. So
0: well, that's I, that's I, I think that's the
1: walls the walls closed <clears> then. <throat> <in. throat>
0: that's amazing. Congratulations to you both. Tell me, uh, you know, and then getting the news that the prosecutors who could have tried you again decided not to, which is not shouldn't have been a hard decision, and hopefully it wasn't a hard decision that had to make you both feel. Good, that they weren't going to try you again. Correct. Yeah, I, February eleventh, <laughs> two thousand twenty. You guys are released. What was it like walking out of prison, Kevin? I'm going to ask you first, and then uh, Sean, like you can I answer. Said,
1: like I said, you, like you got all these thoughts of what it's going to be like, and I was just like, like what the hell? Like I couldn't. Is nothing came out that time? Like I thought I was just going mostly just be like, like break down, like. Oh man, but I was just like, damn, like still like, like shaking my head. Like the same way I went down <laughs> is the same way I think I came out shaking my head. Like, "Damn!" like I can't believe this because that happened so fast too. Like we was in there in the next, in the next week we out, you know, it happened so fast.
0: Yeah. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sean, what about you? How was, uh, Entering the world again well, for you. Uh it it was kind of
2: surreal, even though that might be a cliche. It just it, it was something I knew was gonna happen one day. It it just was kind of like long overdue. And uh, as to one of the earlier questions about the, the witnesses' friends s- giving statements about she said she didn't witness it, I hired a couple investigators that found people that gave us statements that the wit- that the witness admitted that she didn't see the crime. So that part is kind of true. Also, like we, we never gave up, hope. we knew we was getting out one day. And with the appeals, we figured that we we, we didn't think we were gonna get it on the pellet division. We we thought we would get it in the Supreme Court. Because like Kevin said, a lot of high well-known attorneys start doing amicus brief for us. Uh Raymond Brown, uh Lawrence Lusberg, uh Linda Mayling. So we had about four or five amicus briefs. So we, we knew we were gonna get them this time.
0: Wow. So Kevin, uh, what city are you in and what do you, what are you doing now with your, with your life?
2: I'm in
1: Camden right now. I'm I'm actually working at the hospital and I'm actually preparing to take this personal trainer. Um, I'm doing a couple things right now. I ain't going to say that's going to be my all, but like just jumping out the, off the ground, running, I'm keeping myself moving. So those are two things I'm doing right now. So okay. I'm, I'm probably trying to own some property, though, because I see that's the thing. That's the thing I'm trying to
0: get into. Sean, what about you? Um, Where are well, you at? Right, Where I, are you physically located? I'm, I'm still in Camden, New Jersey.
2: Okay. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking into nonprofits. I, I would honestly like to start a nonprofit to help other guys who are actually innocent because me and Kevin's case are not isolated incidents. I was a paralegal while I was in prison, and I read a, a handful of other guys' cases who I believe are actually innocent. And I would love to help them get out. So I'm working on, you know, starting me a nonprofit organization. Also, I'm taking a little uh, college course, a business management course. Also, I had I, I had a job offered by an attorney to um come work for as a paralegal. So I'm I'm going to work as a as a paralegal for this attorney I met. And also, I would like to go back to school. I would love to get a degree in law. Like like I, I studied the law majority of the time I was in prison. I loved that law. It opened my eyes to a whole other world. So. I, I hope to pursue a, a career in the legal field one day.
0: Our profession would be lucky to have you. Uh, uh, well, thank
2: you. I want to Real- stay away
1: from legal. Field. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, you know, you, you both faced false forensic evidence, perjury by a witness, terrible defense attorneys. I mean the 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 fact that uh, the fact that Sean you want to go into the law and uh, Kevin you don't uh, <laughs> is, is both understandable. Because the system definitely is messed up when it comes to these types of things, and we we need to change it. And I think uh, certain things are being changed, but a lot more work needs to be done. Um, I think our viewers are going to be interested to know if either one of you have been compensated by the state of New Jersey yet, or if you're working on that for the wrongful uh, incarceration convictions.
1: They're working on it now. They're working on it. But it's going to be a while well, I hope it's going to
2: be a while, though. So. Well, 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 neither one of us has been compensated, as he just mentioned. Also, they have a, a law in New Jersey. It's called the I- Mistaken Identification Act, the MIA, where they're supposed to give us a certain amount of dollars for every year we was incarcerated. It's a statute where we, we are entitled to money for those 25 years we are statuated on the state level. And the state of New Jersey, the prosecutor's office, they're fighting against it to, to, to give us that compensation.
0: So Why they it, what are they what is their argument against it?
2: I have um they, they claiming that even though they refuse to take us back to trial, they don't feel as though that we were innocent. You know, they said they didn't want to take us back because because of the long period of time, it may be harder to retry the case, which is BS. Because I have seen them take people to trial for murders 30, 40 years later. So there's no statute of limitations on murder in New Jersey. But they they saying that they feel as though the, the state saying they feel as though we we weren't innocent. You know, they 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 don't want to, you know, they don't want to concede. They, they still want to fight and try to hold up
0: the law. Yeah, they don't want to cough up the money and they don't want to admit they were wrong. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, yeah, Sean, what would you like our audience to know about other innocent people who are still locked up and trying to get people to believe their stories? Wow, well, it's... Well, there's this one gentleman I met
2: in prison. He's legally blind. He cannot see. He was falsely accused of of a sexual assault case, which no ev- there was no evidence to support that. I mean, it, like people, like it says innocent until proven guilty. But the way the society is, we're really, once you get charged or accused of something, you're really guilty until proven innocent. I mean, I just want people to know that there are innocent people in jail. And it can happen to any one of us, any one of our families, if we don't, if we don't protect ourselves. So number one thing is try to, if you can afford to ha- keep an attorney or retainer, keep an attorney and try to learn the law. And even though I had attorneys on retainers, I didn't know the law, so they was able to do what they wanted to do. But once I learned that law, they couldn't do what they wanted to do or tell me anything. So I, I hope society
0: will, will understand that there really are, are innocent people in prison. And Kevin, do you want to answer the same question?
1: Well, I, I would say that, like, for, for me, I, I look at it as a point where, like you said, like, you, you're you in the legal profession, so you know, you know you know the law, and it's for me, it was it was the 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 the, the psychology, the mentality of the people that that interpret how they interpret the law. Like if you got a biased opinion of, of people that you will interpret the law um a certain way. Like say if you're a bigot, you're gonna interpret the law. If you're a lawyer, you're gonna interpret the law. I won't even say bigot, just say you're you, you know, you prejudge or you you don't understand a certain culture or you know, you 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 pick up things different. Like and they come into these situations and we're perceived if you're perceived a certain way, like like us, it could only be like like you were saying, like, how could the jury convict you? Like it could only be that the jury perceived us a certain way, because you 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 couldn't go by the evidence. And it's the thing with those prosecutors. They they know that all they have to do is get us in that box and they can let the perception of the jury find us. You know, that could, that could actually find you guilty. And that's what, ha- that's what happened in this case. And we sat there and we did nothing because in our head, we were saying, um, oh, we're innocent. They got to prove we're guilty. You know what I'm saying? And I guess if I'm on the jury, I'm sitting there saying, man, if they were innocent, why they didn't like Damn, They didn't, they didn't take the stand. They, didn't, they actually did nothing. So, like, we have to understand that it's people, like, in that system, man, that are actually, like, they, <laughs> they have some issues, man. So, like, we always talk about reforming the law. Like, you can change words, like, but can you change how people look at, you know, how can you, ch- can you change that, how people interpret the law, how right. they, you know, um, enforce the law. So it goes into that. So that's how I look at it.
0: Well, Kevin Baker, Sean Washington, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. What, what the state of New Jersey did to you guys for 25 years, but I'm thrilled that you're out and, uh, thankful that you got Seton hall on your team and were able to, you know, find the uncovered evidence and, and make a really good showing that you guys were innocent. And I'm just so happy for you both that you're out. So thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for being it. on open mic. We really appreciate and, it. And sorry
1: about the technical difficulties, man. I told you I'm behind the
0: technology. Hey, bad. no problem. I think my <laughs> listeners and our viewers are going to forgive you too. All right. Um, so thank <laughs> you so tough. much.
2: All right. Thank you. you.
0: Thank you for watching and listening to another episode of open mic. It's another tragedy, another story of Kevin Baker, Sean Washington, 25 years in prison for both of them for murders. There was absolutely no way they co- could have committed. They had terrible defense attorneys who allegedly are still practicing law in New Jersey. The state won't compensate them. It's just unbelievable. And, I, and I'm and i shocked every time we do another one of these episodes. And it's just the same old stuff. Uh, and it's it's heartbreaking. And it's frustrating but thank you for being here if you know somebody who should hear this show watch the show please send it to them subscribe comment let us know your thoughts on these wrongful convictions and these exonerations and anything else you want to hear about from open mic we'll try to cover and we really do appreciate you being part of our community and listening and watching to our show it really means a lot to us so we'll see you next time thank you